Hello, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist, except for today. We're going to be, much like last time, looking not at a classic text, but at a modern film. So, following on the last episode, Jared Wilson of the Martial Thoughts podcast and I continue our conversation of martial themes in the Star Wars films. In many ways, Empire Strikes Back has all the classic storytelling elements found in martial arts stories, and Yoda is in so many ways the personification of the West's idea of a martial arts master. If there was any doubt about Star Wars being a Western martial arts film franchise, then Empire Strikes Back puts a nail in that coffin. Okay, well, let's start off with with Hoth. We're going to start off, I guess, kind of chronologically in the movie and kind of go with the movie, but, you know, feel free to jump around as we get to it. You know, if something else okay. comes up, it's like, oh, but he said this later, go for it. Sure, 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 okay. So, you know, you and I were talking about this, you know, before we hit record here, but mm-hmm. one of the things I think that's an interesting bit for this movie is, well, two things. One, it's kind of that middle part of the hero's journey that we talked about before. Right. There's a couple of things that are specific to the hero's journey, Uh the first one is, you know, journey to the underworld or something to that effect where, okay. where you have to go down and in this case, literally face your demons. Mm-hmm. So, this would be the, the cave on Dagobah. Yeah. And then the other one is uh, usually what comes out of that or the next step after that is transformation, which is the beginning uh, of the next movie. But, you know, that's what I think this one a lot of is, is Luke training and then in the going into the heart of darkness, so to speak. But um, I, yeah. We were talking off off camera, off mic, about how the theme of this movie seems to be, what are you willing to sacrifice? Mm-hmm. And it, it's an interesting thing of, you know, in kind of a Zen idea of... Uh, Disillusionment? Um, yeah, kind of not being attached to anything. You know, okay, sure. Because I kind of get the feeling, and again... You know, this is... I, I was going to say, I kind of get the feeling with Hoth that the Rebels kind of are just getting there and just kind of finish setting everything up. Right. And then the Empire comes and they're like, oh, okay, time to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember specifically, but I seem to recall they were, what was supposed to have preceded this to a certain degree was them jumping from place to place to place and uh, finally thinking they found the, a place remote enough in Hoth um, to, to finally set up. So I think they've kind of been on the run for a while. Yeah, but again, that's kind of a, a, a Zen idea, it's a, this disattachment to to reality to your possessions you know they're like well okay so we got to abandon half our stuff again as long as the people get out we're good yeah yeah that's true i mean there's that uh luke's talking to the uh medical droid i think it's 21b um saying well leave the heavy equipment you know and get everyone else out (laughs) yeah well even in right before that scene the there's the famous wampa scenes which i think is uh this one actually reminded me of one of the the stories you told you know, when Luke's hanging upside down and he has to slow down and concentrate and use the force, but the mm-hmm. Wampa's charging at him. That, that kind of reminds me of right. you know, the archer hanging off the edge of the cliff type of, type of thing. Uh, that's a good good uh, callback to that. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that. It's you um, know, Can you concentrate yeah, it, and can you do what you're supposed to when, you know, bad shit's happening? Right, because, I mean, I, <laughs> that's... Uh, it's pretty bad when that Wampa is, you know, eating your tauntaun. He's coming for you next. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. The the ability to focus under pressure. Yeah. I have to admit, I, I've always kind of found that scene a little confusing in the standpoint of, like, how, how did this Wampa freeze Luke to the ceiling? I mean, did he use his, like, hot breath to, like, pop <laughs> on the ceiling and then it froze, you know, shoved him up there and then it froze again? And you know, I've always wondered that too, but I I just chalked it up to movie lab magic and went with it. But yeah, it it was a thought yeah. that crossed my mind too. <laughs> then, uh, what so you didn't know thing... is what you didn't know is that wampas have laser vision. You know. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, they, they didn't tell me that part. <laughs> and then if you think about it, he'd have to literally hold him there until the ice formed again too. So <laughs> right, well, it, it is very cold. It is night. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that you know your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. So. <laughs> But the other thing I found interesting here was that even under the pressure, like you mentioned, you know, we see here, I think for the first time, if we assume none of the other movies have come out at this point, but we see someone using the force to move an object. And, you know, up until this point, we didn't see, I don't, I don't recall Obi-Wan doing it in A New Hope at, at any point. No, uh, I think you're right. 
and I remember looking at it going, oh, did, did Luke just invent this himself? You know, as a kid, this is what I was thinking. You know, did did the force, you know, in, inspire him to some degree? Is this, in, you know, for a moment, he he closes his mind, he takes a breath, he relaxes, and then he reaches out, pulling the lightsaber to him. And so in some sense, it what it makes me think of is when I've trained in a variety of different martial arts, sometimes I've seen people kind of reinvent their martial art for themselves they'll do something really advanced and they'll think that oh this is amazing i just made something new and then they find out you know that uh, other people have been doing it for for decades it's just it never came up but i think it's an important training element of training that in a sense we reinvent our martial arts for ourselves through our our practice we have to go through that process of rediscovery i mean yes you can be shown a technique but until you in a sense take it and make it your own you can't really do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel like that's what we're seeing here with Luke is in a sense, he's reinventing his connection to the force, even though he's not really had that much training as far as I know. I mean, other than what we've seen Obi-Wan teach him, <laughs> which is like five seconds with a, you know, a spinning laser ball, but right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I, I never thought about that. Nobody had showed him how to do that before, so to speak. I like that. Oh, no, no. see a, a lot of new force abilities in this film, <laughs> mm. um, you know, from Vader blocking blaster bolts to again, pulling the blaster out of Han's hand. You know, we see, we see the, uh, the whole force ghost thing. Whereas before Obi-Wan was a disembodied voice, all of a sudden he can uh, appear as an apparition at certain times, though not always. <laughs> you know, one of the things I thought was interesting, and I think we talked about this on the, the episode four episode is how a lot of times the rebels are their whole goal is not to fight the empire their goal is to not fight so when they're mm. leaving from hoth they don't even use blasters they use ion cannons which again to get into the mm-hmm. nerdiness of it it just kind of paralyzes the ship for a minute it doesn't you know try to destroy it enough that they can escape it's like no 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 we just right. want you to go out of the way so that we can make our own way which is yeah. which is a very martial arts idea that's a, that's self defense yeah. right there no, that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. The uh, the ion cannon, you know, for listeners that aren't familiar, kind of kind of like an EMP where it shuts down electronics. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, that's you know, in in a sense, <laughs> it is a a very defensive method of getting the person out of the way, getting the starter story out of the way, so they can make the jump and get out of there. Well, I I do. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, you go first. <laughs> Oh, I, I just uh, there was one part about Hoth that I always thought was really funny, and I'm not sure what the connection would be beyond maybe a little bit of a de-escalation or the observation of conflict uh, in others. But I find it hilarious how when Han and Leia are arguing in the hallway, no one is phased. They just keep going about their business. Oh, Han and Leia are yelling at each other again. I'm just carrying my box through. Never mind. <laughs> um, nobody, nobody like stands and watches. You know, of course, there's smartphones, but no one's like. You know, up oh, the you know the celebrity princess is arguing with the smuggler again. <laughs> you know, but but no one's even like, oh, what's wrong with these people? They're just like, whatever. <laughs> you know, I was watching this with my wife, and uh, you know, she was talking about kind of the same thing. It's like we missed a whole bunch of the story where Luke and Han become best buds. You know, yeah, they got a medal together, but you know, going out and risking your life after nightfall on Hoth that that's all that's a whole different level of friendship than we saw in the first movie. That's a really good observation. Yeah. We just I mean, kinda, you don't just do that for anyone. Yeah, we we kind of just skip to that and kind of assume it's in there because, you know, hey, those are the three stars in the movie, but Right. I, I guess that's where I, all the comics come in and all the uh, extended universe, all the stuff in between. Um because you really see that Luke is a little has a different attitude in this film than he did in the first one. You know, you know he's leading people into battle later when the the empire's um invading Hoth. Um you know, he's taken on a leadership char- characteristic that deepens his character much further than just the naive farm boy. And, you know, this is where he's, you know, in the opening crawl, they talk about Luke actually leading them on Hoth. And I always thought that was interesting because there appear to be other higher ranked people on Hoth with them. But at least in the opening crawl, it implies that Luke has, is leading this force to Hoth. Um, hmm. and, and so, at, at least from a character development standpoint, like your wife mentioned, you know, we do see a deeper level, uh, deeper level of character growth in in all of them. You know, there's something I, I'll want to return to later, but there's this idea that in martial arts films there are 
a set of common traits that we see. And one of those is a romance of the hero, either engaged with or turned away from. And I think we see that embodied in Han and Leia in this film. Hmm. You know, there's there's much more of a romance uh, element to this film than there is than there was in the prior one. And you see that also in the film poster where Han and Leia facing each other about to kiss is regularly featured on the Empire Strikes Back movie posters. Yeah. So it was just something, and I'll get back to those five things later. Um, Whereas I guess in Star Wars, the the famous one is, you know, Luke with a lightsaber holding up and Leia kind of wrapped around his leg, Conan-esque style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Star Wars still was trying to figure out what they <laughs> were uh, back then, and they're coming out of the Flash Gordon era. Yeah. You know, this, this harkens back to why I think Mifune... Uh, was not super interested in being involved with sci-fi since it had this kind of uh, B-movie reputation back then. <laughs> it might even been you C-movie that. at that time. Yeah, yeah, you definitely see some of that in the uh, the movie or the poster design and the toys and whatnot. Well, our our next big idea, I guess, we want to get to is we have, like you said, Obi Wan appears as the Force Ghost and says, mm-hmm. "Hey, you're not done yet. You know." great, you've got your green belt, but you know you need to go study from this guy. He's a lot better than I am, type of thing. So he sends him on a planet, or onto the planet, Dagobah, where we meet everyone's favorite sensei. We get to yes. meet Yoda. Yes, there's so much here in the character, <laughs> and there's so much to him. <laughs> you know, I, I thought about this. There should almost be like a sensei's guide to martial arts and just have it be Yoda quotes type of thing. I mean, he he's... In my head, him and Mr. Miyagi are the stereotypical sensei. So that's a great parallel because, you know, so much of this in Daniel's journey with Mr. Miyagi and Luke's journey with Yoda, those two icon, iconic duos, um, I suspect, inspired many young, um, yeah, probably other places too, but I I only grew up in America. So uh, young American children to want to do martial arts. You know, the Karate Kid, I know for stupid little Matthew many years ago, was very inspirational, as was the Luke and Yoda, um, which kind of, you know, brings up this theme of looking for a master, looking for a teacher. You know, going back to those themes we see, you know, we have the old wise master, you know, it'd be like Frodo and Gandalf or, you know, Harry and Dumbledore and in other stories. But there's this search for a master. And uh, and you're right. That's what we see here, where Obi Wan is directing Luke to find Yoda, which brings up the question: How does Luke know how to get to the Dagobah system? <laughs> well, you know, Force Ghost, you know, put the computer coordinates in already. You know, he he took care. I of know, it. <laughs> I know. We're, we're in a universe with space wizards and laser swords, and Luke just you know is inventing force powers on his own. But you know, it, I checked the novel again. Um, and R2 points out in the novel to Luke that Dagobah isn't on any of the navigational charts, but Luke assures R2 that he knows how to get there. But there's no mention of how Luke knows this. So, yeah, I just have to assume that he just, the Force told him. <laughs> well, you know, they cut out that really nice scene of him going through the Hoth computers and just searching and searching and searching, and Googling Dagobah forever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> though, though I have but, to admit, I guess in the in the, uh, the the prequel trilogy, they do show him going to the Jedi Library. So I guess you know, hey, they could do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can't remember if this is extended universe stuff or something else, but I seem to recall Yoda had somehow pre-selected Dagobah to go to, either from prior travels or prior research. There was something about he already knew about it, and he was already prepared to to go there. And maybe it was because, it, you know, like Camino, it had been erased from the Jedi archives or something. Hmm. So I, I, I want to say it was the Timothy Zahn series of novels that talked about this. One of the reasons mm-hmm. they that Yoda chose Dagobah was because of the Dark Force Sith cave. Because basically, the big, the big light of dark side co- uh, created a shadow that he could hide behind so that right, the Emperor right. could I... never find him. Yeah, and I, I think that's been backed up in other stuff too, or you know, at least um, supported in other Lucasfilm story girl group writings. Though, it, yeah, it may have very well originated with uh, with Son. You know, there's two other things, or one other thing I I was thinking about Dagobah was that as Luke's approaching Dagobah, he mentions that there's massive life readings on the planet. If Yoda was, let's say, hiding out on Tatooine, uh, a life reading might be 
um, more obvious out in the desert. <laughs> and at least for, for Yoda, you know, hiding in amongst the swamp, amongst all that life. And then, you know, from a biological standpoint, not being able to be found that way. And then also from a force standpoint, being hidden by the balance of the dark side cave, uh, which side note, I found interesting. Again, looking at the novel, I, I didn't see a mention of the cave. I saw a tree. They refer to, mm-hmm. at least in the book, Yoda's like, you have to go inside the tree, which it's, at least in the film, looks a lot more like a, a cave to me. I, I almost see, well, there's straight lines. Right. So it's almost like there's some ruins there. Yeah. I, and again, I don't remember where which extended universe it was, but they talked about that that was an old, uh, it's changed a couple of times. One was a Sith ship, one was a Sith temple, but that that's why it looked, they called it a cave, but you can see, you know, there's something artificial going on there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, you made a really good point, too, about this, that, you know, symbolically, this is him having to travel into the heart of darkness to have this challenge. You know, we cannot grow without challenge. And, I, you know, you get the impression that Yoda brought Luke there intentionally. You know, this was a test to, to a certain degree. I always felt that Luke's training montage on Dagobah was a little disappointing as a kid because it seems like he always failed Yoda. <laughs> Well, you know, again, to bring but, it, to bring it forward in the new trilogies, uh, Ray fails Luke time and time again too. So I guess it that's kind of just the way Jedi training works. But I mean, think about too in our own martial training. I mean, when we go out on the mats or in the dojo or the dojing or wherever a person trains, what do we do out on there? We fail. We make mistakes. I, when I was teaching traditional jujitsu, I, I like to tell my students that I want you to fail here. I want you to make mistakes here where we have the mats, where we have people who care about your success rather than outside where that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I, I see training as the place to fail. You want to get all that failure out in training <laughs> so that you can learn how to do it the right way and not fail when it counts. Well, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but I want to go back to specifically to Yoda because okay. I love his first appearance. Granted, we, oh, yes. we've all we've all seen the movies a hundred times. We recognize instantly that's Yoda. We're like, oh, Yoda's finally here. But watch what he does in the movie. Watch, you know, story-wise what he's doing. He's showing up. First of all, he sneaks up on Luke, which, you know, kudos to Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> but then he starts teasing him, messing around with him, and testing his character before he even decides, you know, hey, does this guy get to be a Jedi student? Yes, yes. No, that, that's, but it leads into it right with what Luke says right before Yoda shows up, where Luke is saying, like, what are we doing here? It's like something out of a dream, or I'm going crazy. And what I take from that is that Luke is not doing the rational thing. I'm using air quotes here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, in a sense, going with instincts again. And then we see Yoda show up right in that moment. And like you said, he, you know, he's testing him. He's doing this crazy old man character, you know, he, He's messing with him, testing his patience, seeing if he's compassionate, seeing and then, then making he, commentary. And then, then he brings him back to the hut and tests his patience. How much can he mm-hmm. is he willing to do to get to the training? Right. It, it kind of reminds me of you know the the waiting outside the temple gate, you know, waiting for the master and begging him every single day, you know, for the next twelve That's months. Right, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, another trait that we see in martial arts films. I, I do find it interesting that Luke says at one point that there's something familiar about Dagobah. You know, here's a kid who grew up on a desert planet with two two sons or three sons, more more than one son, and he's saying there's something familiar about this about Dagobah, um, which again makes me think that there's something with the subconscious going on here with Luke. I I, um, I was hoping at least in the prequel trilogy when they were you know dropping off the twins that you know they. They dropped off Yoda, and Luke was in their arms for a split second, could see Dagobah, and then went to Tatooine or something like that. But that's not the way the story worked out. But that would at least have explained that line. Yeah, for sure. Well, it makes me wonder, too. You know, dreams come up a lot in this film and other Jedi stuff. Mm-hmm. And so one has to wonder if perhaps, you know, Luke has been dreaming about Dagobah, about Dagobah. I mean, Yoda mentions that he's been watching Luke for a long time, implying that there's been, at least in some sense, he's been reaching out through the force to keep an eye on Luke. And so perhaps, you know, without Luke knowing there's been a a little bit of this subconscious dreaming going on that he just wrote off in the past, never thought it was anything other than weird dreams. Well, you know, when Yoda's doing his crazy man characters, there's, 
there's a couple of lines that I, you know, they're always the easy quote ones because Yoda's so quotable in the first place. But one of the he kind of tells Luke everything he needs to know. If you pay attention, kind of read between the lines of what Yoda's saying. You know, his mm-hmm. first line, you know, away, put your weapon. I mean, you no harm. He's saying, look, there's nothing going to happen here that's dangerous to you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Luke says, well, I'm looking for something. He says, looking, found someone you have. You know, saying, look, sometimes you got to keep your eyes open to who is right in front of you. You know, right. quit looking to the future. Look at what you're doing right now. Yes, never on where he was, <laughs> what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. He, he's saying it all right there. You know, it, kinda, you know, I, it reminds me of this, the, the saying, you know, um, when the student is ready, the master will appear type of thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yes. Because literally he appears. He was snuck up on Luke and just kind of showed up. Right, right, yeah. Oh, that's funny. And then he literally, yeah. and then right afterwards he says, no, no, help you, I can. It's like, look, pay attention, Luke. Look at what's in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I One of the ones I of that dialogue sequence I really liked was the part where Yoda, Luke says he's looking for a great warrior, and mm-hmm. Yoda says it does not make one great. Yeah, that that is that is the ultimate sensei line. Somewhere it just takes what what you think you know and completely turns around and you're like, Oh shit, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there, there is, you know, there's a lot of conflict. The whole point of why Luke is here is because of the conflict going on. And, you know, in the past we didn't have the background to understand what it was for Yoda to say that, but thinking about it now, here is Yoda commanded troops as a general in the clone wars, fought Palpatine at the end, but before escaping to Dagobah, you know, Yoda has been through a war. <laughs> you know and and he has fought on the front lines and directed and led and and here he is at the end of it all saying you know obviously wars not make one great yeah it, it's that it's that old world war ii veteran grandpa you have going yeah war is not what you think it is yeah yeah i, I you know when he takes him back to the hut yeah, I found the whole sequence a little interesting. You know, Obi-Wan I, I chooses to, again, just be a, a disembodied voice for whatever reason. I, I find that Obi-Wan seems to to appear in moments of great stress for Luke. So when he's, you know, you know dying on Hoth, you know, obviously, you know, he's about to be saved. But when Luke is leaving Dagobah um, and when Luke returns after Yoda's death, you know, these are the moments when Obi-Wan chooses to, I, I, I assume choose. I, I don't actually know if he chooses, but he, he appears <laughs> to Luke. Whereas, despite having appeared once on Hoth, he is again a disembodied voice here, and Yoda seems to be just chatting with him like he's just a you know another guy in the hut. But what I found interesting about all this was that Yoda focused on patience, like you mentioned, um, about having commitment and a serious mind, um, and that all these other things. You know, Luke had mentioned war before, great warrior, um, but adventure, excitement. You know, these are not the things that a Jedi craves. And he keeps, you know, he points out that Luke is reckless and he calls back to that later when Luke is leaving, when Yoda says that, you know, see, he's reckless. Now things are worse. (laughs) And, you know, one has to wonder, I don't understand why Yoda and Obi-Wan feel that Luke and Leia are the only ones who can confront Vader. I don't understand why it has to be them. Unless, well, I don't know. See, I would argue that... Luke is Luke and Leia would be the only ones who could even for that split second turn him back. Nobody else would matter like that. But even they say, "No, you got to go kill Vader." They don't say, "Hey, you got to go try and turn him back." Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, it's just always been one of those points where I found kind of confusing. But you know, you you make a good point. It, it, if in fact that Anakin's going to be turned back, they likely his children would likely have the best chance of that happening. But you're, you're right. They. They're always like you have to confront Vader. You have to, you have to kill him. In, unless they're going with Obi Wan's theory that you know Vader and Anakin are two different people. You have to kill Vader so that Anakin can come out again. Good point. Yeah, I mean that might, we, that's looking way too deep into it, but but you know this is also coming from Obi Wan, who's the you know it's true from a certain point of view guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, it's, I love Obi Wan as a character. Um, he's probably one of my favorites. But there's just a few times where he says things where I'm like. Really, dude. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like, I, yeah. I, I would feel pretty upset with Obi Wan if he had pulled that one on me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, one of the, the has kind of a weird relationship between 
Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Luke is kind of a weird, um, I don't know, like head instructor, senpai, student relationship. Ah, yes. Because if you notice, it's Obi-Wan that's going to bat for Luke whenever Yoda says, no, he can't. No, he's too old. Obi-Wan's like, look, you did all this with me, and it still worked out okay. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's always saying that, you know, oh, was I any different? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, because Yoda really doesn't want to train him because he's like, yeah, this is not going to work out. He's too much like Vader or Anakin. Which, which begs the question, what is Endgame here? I mean, if Luke is Luke and Leia is their only hope and here's Luke and he doesn't want to train Luke. I mean, what, what was the point of any of this? Of even going out and talking to him? <laughs> I mean, if he's been watching him for a long time and knows that he's reckless and always looking away. Again, is that part of the test? Yeah, that's you what know, I was going to say. If that's part of it, it's like, you know, kind of pushing him away, going, no, 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 you're too old. You can't do this. It's like, no, 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 I really want to do this. Yeah, the student at the gate yeah. <clears throat> waiting in the rain. <laughs> so and another point here in this Yoda hut scene that I found interesting was the point where Yoda turns to Obi-Wan and says, will he finish what he begins? And Obi-Wan doesn't answer. And Yoda tells, so Luke says that he's ready for training. He's not afraid. And then Yoda says, you will be, and kind of chuckles at him. So Yoda's telling Luke that he's going to be afraid. And this is interesting coming from the same guy who later says that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. You know, this fear and this confrontation of fear seems to be a common trait across all, all the Star Wars movies that involve Jedi. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking everything here. I mean, from... The Clone Wars, uh, the animated one, to the to Rebels, to the other films, the confrontation of fear uh, seems to be a, a key point. Confronting fear and not falling to it seems to be a key point of this this training ideology. That, yeah, that's that's and that's directly transferable to us in martial arts. Right, and and that's that's one of those points where I, I suspect that we in our own training, um, again going back to the Archer and the Cliff. The ability to operate under fear, <laughs> like we mentioned earlier, when the Wampa is charging you to still focus um, and do what needs to be done, that is one of those points that I think unites all the martial arts. Yeah, that's, that's again, how, how deep do we want to delve into this? But that's pretty good stuff. I like that. Yeah. Well, um, well wait, shall here. we... Uh, let me go, let me yeah, go, go one more thing. This is kind of breaking off because uh, the way in my notes is kind of going back and forth because they're going back and forth from the Dagobah to the asteroid scenes. Right. You know, we were talking. I mentioned that it's kind of like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Well, if mm -hmm. you yeah. if you look at the Empire part of it, they're willing to sacrifice ships, people. It doesn't matter because one of the captains goes, you know, like right. looking at the damage we sustained. They must have been destroyed. He's like, no, go in there farther. There's the great scene where they're on the the video conference. They're on, you know, Star Wars Zoom. Yes. <laughs> and the one guy just kind of disintegrates in the corner because they got hit by the asteroid. Yeah. It's showing that yeah. the, the Empire is willing to sacrifice people. Yes. I, Vader, absolutely. I mean, he's, you know, I don't remember the exact line now, but he's like, uh, casualties don't concern me. Yes. You know, <laughs> go after them. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point. The sacrifice, you know, in, in some sense with Anakin and Vader here, you know, he has... What is he left to lose at this point? You know, he lost his mother. He lost Ahsoka. He lost Padme. He lost his kids. Um, you know. Well, well, that brings up that brings up the next point is he gets a message from the Empire, uh, the Emperor, saying, "Hey, Anakin Skywalker's kid is alive." Right. And that's where he goes. Oh, wait a minute. There might be a future path for me. Um. Hey, why don't right. we why don't we bring him on board with us? <laughs> mm -hmm. And and you yeah you. You see, even in his <clears throat> submission to his manipulative master, which uh, we should come back to and talk about cult-like behaviors in the martial arts. Um, mm. But uh, but you're right. There, there is a certain moment of, uh, oh, here's his way to kill Palpatine if he can get his son on his side. And we see that at the end as well. Mm -hmm. I, I also find it interesting that between the last film and this one, <clears throat> they all, all of a sudden everyone knows who Luke is. Like Vader and Palpatine have done their homework. They're referring to him as the son of Skywalker. They know exactly who this kid is. <laughs> well, the Rebel Alliance is good PR, I guess. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, Palpatine, you see this in the submission of Vader to Palpatine, you know, at the very end of it all. We see it first here with how Vader doesn't bow to anyone. I mean, he's just killing 
anyone in the Imperial Navy that just bothers him. Um, and here he is kneeling before Palpatine. Um, the first point in the film where we see, I, I shouldn't say the first, because technically Tarkin does give Vader an order and a new hope. Um, yeah, but he also kind of plays it off like, yeah, okay, I'll do it for you. Yeah, yeah. But there aren't, there aren't many people that Vader will bow to. Mm-hmm. And we see this here. Here's this great, who's largely been the biggest bad guy at, up until this point in the Star Wars films. Everyone knows Vader's the bad guy. He's the one leading everyone. And in this film, here's the first point where we see the shadowy, actual evil behind the face of evil, of, behind, the, uh, behind Vader's mask, so to speak, mm. um, in Palpatine. And we think about how Palpatine manipulated Anakin into becoming Vader and isolated him and set himself up as the only path forward, as the only person who could teach him the power that he desired um, to save Padme, so to speak. You know, I think we see a similar thing in the martial arts world where we find these certain groups of martial arts teachers who isolate their students from others and present themselves as the wise master who can teach them the secret arts. And I guess what I'm just going with is there's a there's an element to that cult like practice that we see in some martial arts in Palpatine. Mm hmm and how he controls Vader. Again, this is just something I just... Go ahead. I was going to say, it even comes back to that same, what are you willing to sacrifice to be part of what I am? Right. And, you know, you make a point, you make an interesting point there saying it again, because in a sense, that's what Yoda was testing Luke with. You know, how far are you willing to go, you know, to find the master? How, How far can I test your patience? You know, they're they're different sides of the coin, you know, whereas Palpatine requires submission and the sacrifice of anything and everything. Maybe maybe Yoda's looking for the sacrifice of self-interest. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just riffing on it here because, you know, when Luke is having the dreams later about Han and Leia being in danger, you know, there's as Luke is rushing off to save them. Yeah. There's that moment where, where they ask, where where Luke asks, you know, if he has to sacrifice Han and Leia, and Yoda says, yeah, if you value what they fight for, yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a, it's a very interesting kind of flip of the coin with those two. It, it again, I think we we talked about this earlier, but my interpretation. When Luke finally says, "Look, I have to go. I'm leaving." In mm-hmm. my interpre- yeah. in my interpretation, it looks like Yoda goes. There's almost a look of, "Oh, good." Like there's some kind of a a, a relief on Yoda's face at that point. Mm. And, and again, that's yeah. not my interpretation of a, mu- a Muppet's emoting, but <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's an interesting take on it, and I'll need to go back and look at it because, it, very much in my own mind, I've solidified on the idea that Yoda's just again disappointed in, in Luke. Um, so I'll need to go back and watch it with fresh eyes and, and look for that because it's very possible. So, You know, uh, just looking over my notes, we skipped over one really important part of the training sequence. Oh, yes. The, uh, the X-Wing sinking scene. Right. That's another one where there's lots of quotable bits from it. Yeah. The, the whole, you know, size matters not, you know, that whole thing. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. That's straight out of a martial artist textbook. I mean, we 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 almost preach that idea that you know the bigger guy doesn't have to be the one winning, right? And, and we see that a lot in martial arts origin stories, both classic old ones and modern ones. So the the Charles Atlas, the little the Charles Atlas ad with the boy getting the sand kicked in his face, the little man, the weak man being able to stand up against the bully, is. A timeless trope, I think, in humanity and the training for violence. And then that brings up the second, maybe the most quoted line of all of Empire. Well, maybe second most. Do or do not. There is no try. Right, yeah. Which is, I it, love the fact. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, which is basically, it's translating it to say, the instant you say try, you're allowing yourself an excuse. You're giving yourself an out. It says, don't just think right. that you can do it, just not to be Nike, but just go do it. Right, right, yeah. There has to be a, a decision that you are going to do it. You know, there's no implication here that failure won't happen. 
but you need to decide that you're going to do it. If you've already decided you're not going to succeed, you're, you're not going to. Oh, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I, you know, for, for me, uh, Ukemi hmm. Falls was always a, a hard one for me to get over mentally. And one of my, my teachers at one point took me aside and, and just got me over that hump. And it was very much, he didn't say this exactly, but it was very much this where in a sense, he looked at what I was doing and said that physically, uh, I guess, I guess where I'm going with is that he, he realized that what was wrong was in my mind, mm -hmm. that I needed to decide to do it, let go of my fear um, and just do it. And I don't have a good way of articulating this, but once he put that idea in my head, Ukemi came naturally. Uh, high falls, uh, you know, not just just normal traditional Ukemi, but you know, but high falls specifically. And and this is what I I draw from what Yoda's saying here to Luke is that, you know, you can't just see the failure in your mind. You have to see yourself doing it. And we see this in Olympic athletes where they do visualization, where they see themselves doing the thing. Mm -hmm. And, and it translates into real measurable results of people actually succeeding in ways they weren't able to before. Yeah. My favorite part is, you know, after he, Luke fails and it kind of sinks down lower, it, Luke gets frustrated and basically goes off in the corner and pouts. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then Yoda has to go, okay, I got to show him how to do this. And he picks right, it up right. and sets it down. And, and Luke's words are, are great. He's like, I don't believe he doesn't even finish the sentence. And Yoda looks at him and goes, that is why you failed. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's a, a good capstone to the, the whole lesson there. Uh, <laughs> Thus endeth the lesson. Right, right. Yeah. It was interesting to me, too, that so much of uh, the training that Yoda put him through in this sequence and prior uh, was kind of like yoga with Yoda. He has Luke take some balance stance and then has him reach out in the force to do something else that what I took from it was kind of this idea of engaging your body actively in something in a, not, not necessarily to distract you, but so that you can work on focus while being distracted. And maybe an example would be like taking some sort of stance or, you know, the, the classic you see is, is, you know, all the martial arts students in like a Bruce Lee film lined up in horse stance. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and anyone that's held that stance for more than a little bit knows that eventually your legs start shaking. And, and so, you know, when I was in law enforcement, I, one of the things they had us do before sparring was to do something physically to exhaustion, either push-ups or running or something. Uh, it was a lot of times it was push-ups. And so if you imagine yourself doing push-ups until you can't do anymore to exhaustion and then having to fight, I kind of see this is what Yoda is doing with Luke is he's putting him into these very difficult physical situations, running through the swamp um, doing this this yoga <laughs> or balance or gymnastics or whatever it is, and then reaching out to the force. There's a a sense of see the way I look at it is very yeah, similar. Go ahead. It's very similar to that. It's um because they, they they both say this a couple of times. They can feel the force, but he can't control it. So mm -hmm. it's almost like getting him to that exhaustion gets him out of his own head. It it, right. it stops him from thinking and just allows the force to kind of feel it, so to speak. Which right. again isn't that same kind of mindset. It's like okay, now that you've you know you've exhausted yourself, now shoot your gun, <laughs> you know that type of a thing. You know, like you're talking about with training. It's like okay, now let's work on the the skills that you need now that you can't think anymore. You know, and you make an interesting point there because earlier, just before this scene, uh, Luke was Yoda was saying that the force is for knowledge and defense, never for attack. And Luke starts to ask, well, what about? Or why? And Yoda says, there is no why. Clear your mind of questions. <laughs> yeah, we all know that what if guy in class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, you make that's an interesting thing to bring up because uh, I've noticed over the years there's two ways. There's two different kinds of what if guys in class. Uh, the first is what I like to call they're either questioning or they're asking questions. Mm. I see a lot of times the person looking at some technique, you know, out of context, in a very micromanaged, you know, training scenario, and then questioning the technique, questioning its validity, as opposed to asking questions about, well, you know, something about how to make the technique work. And so you get those what if people, well, what if, what if there's more than one person? You know, right. <laughs> what if there's a, what if there's a gun, you know, and, and there's no end to that. 
There's literally no end. I can what if a scenario that makes any technique useless. I can also what if a scenario that makes any technique useful. And like Yoda here, those questions, while interesting within a certain degree, they're kind of not the point because you can never predict what you're going to be facing next. You never know the exact set of variables of the high stress combative scenario situation that you're going to be put into. And so whereas I'm not, I'm not saying there's no value to it, I do think there is a certain amount of one has to be careful of the what if game. And, and I think every sensei has been like Yoda, where it's like, okay, okay, stop with the questions. Now just do what we need you to do for right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're taking away from everyone else's training. <laughs> yeah. It's you in a swamp and you're still taking away from your own training. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> that's true. It's a, a lot of times that's the person who suffers the most from it. <laughs> well, as far as the movie goes, you know, we're going to skip over a bunch of stuff with Cloud City, unless you have something specifically to mention in there. No, I do find it interesting later on with another yoga session with Yoda that Luke, this is, so I'm going to where the visions start coming in and start getting introduced. Yoda tells Luke that he's going to see things. And then Luke starts having a vision of his friends in danger while doing this. Mm. And as it's almost like Yoda's planning for this to happen because he mentions it and then it happens. <clears throat> and then when Luke falls apart, you know, falls out of his pose and the rocks and R2-D2 fall to the ground, you know, Yoda's comment is control, control. You must learn control. That's another, it just harkens back to what we I was because that's something yeah. I've heard, you know, teachers in martial arts say a lot. Watch your control. <laughs> well, yeah. When you're doing a kata, um, when you're doing sparring, watch your control. Right, right. Iriminagi. Um, you're familiar, I assume, with that? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I, I figured. But, you know, so for those that aren't familiar with it, Iriminagi's an, an entering throw. And I've seen there's multiple ways to do this. You know, you can, in a sense, come in and clothesline a person on the far end of the spectrum. And then on the other end, there's there's the ability to enter on a person and throw them in a way that's not exactly gentle, but you can almost set them down. Yeah, it's like you're laying and, them down for themselves. Right, exactly. And and it's it's that level of control that I find most often new people need to learn. They need to learn that they don't have to kill their training partner. <laughs> that if you can't do it slow, if you can't do it with control, then you can't do it fast. You know, if you do it wrong really fast, all you've accomplished is doing something wrong very quickly. <laughs> So on page 42 of the Yoda Martial Arts Instructor's Handbook. Right. <laughs> so, I, and I'm sorry, I, I don't know if that was where you were going next, uh, but you were you were about to go on to another another section here. <laughs> well, I was just saying, as far as martial arts go, we could, a lot of the Cloud City, we can kind of skip over and just get to the Luke and Vader fight at the end. Right, right, yeah. Just because, Mar um, not that it's not good, not that it's not good story, but it just doesn't fit the narrative of the martial artist and... Honestly, Luke is our kind of martial arts antagonist or um, uh, protagonist anyway. Yeah, he is the stand-in for the martial arts student here. Um, if I may, then, there's one more thing before that. Sure. Which is where Luke decides to leave. You know, Obi-Wan manifests as a force ghost again. And he's being warned that this is a dangerous time, that the dark side is going to tempt him. And both Obi-Wan and Yoda are trying to convince Luke to stay and complete his training. And as we see throughout this entire montage, <clears throat> or Dagobah's training sequence luke as usual doesn't listen to his teachers when yoda tells him you don't need your weapons in the cave luke's like all right and buckles them on anyways and i i find it interesting in that in the japanese martial arts there's this idea of shu ha and ri yeah and what we see here is the ha element the breaking away where you know shu effectively is where we not mindlessly but kind of kind of blindly because you know as a new person we all know what it's like we don't know right from wrong, so to speak, when it comes to the martial arts, you know, and, and so in some sense, we have to just clear our mind of questions, like Yoda said, and just learn the basics, uh, learn the, you know, in the Japanese martial arts, they call it the Kihon Waza, the, the basic techniques um, that establish the foundation with which we are able to navigate all our other training. And Luke here, I, I see kind of embodying the Ha aspect, which is where we have to break away from the training. So that later we can come to the re, which is the the reincorporation. And for a lot of people, this comes out in cross training, where you know they've learned a martial art, they spent a lot of time, they've invested it, and now they take it out, and 
in a sense, test it or meld it with other training. Um, and we see this in the uh, classical samurai films as the ronin that goes out and tests his martial arts, tests his training against other schools. But that training, that testing, that breaking down ends up being the catalyst that allows us to take our training from other places, other people, and bring it back together into something stronger than it was before. Um, so I, I just, it's an important moment, I think, in Luke's training, if we're mapping it to modern, to real life training. <laughs> you know, what it made me think of when you were saying that is, if you think of Obi-Wan as being his first instructor, and then Yoda, mm -hmm. Yoda, he's going to go to a new school, so to speak. That's, yes. Then Luke getting there is going, hey, your stuff doesn't work because this is what I can do. This is what's important here. <laughs> he's the guy <laughs> coming from the other school. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's a good point. And, you know, on Bespin itself, you know, Vader doesn't show any awareness that Yoda's been involved. He, you know, he says, Obi-Wan has trained you well. Mm-hmm. You know, so in some aspect, I do see the two do represent two different. I mean, I recognize that Obi Wan is, in some sense, a student under Yoda, but we all know how our teachers had teachers themselves, mm -hmm. and they don't always look the same. Obi Wan had a different training path than Yoda did, and so their perspective. I mean, Qui Gon Jinn is the quintessential example of the the <clears throat> renegade teacher who doesn't get along with the rest of the council. <laughs> you know, and there's there's value to that. I mean we know now that the ability to manifest as a force ghost is related to Qui-Gon's uh, different relationship with the force. <laughs> you know, in some ways I was just thinking, it's like, okay, so if Yoda or if, uh, if Obi-Wan was like his martial arts instructor, his first one, and then Yoda is the guy who goes, look, you need to go learn some Tai Chi from this old guy in the park. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just funny at the, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda gives Obi-Wan homework to do on Tatooine while he's <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> So, so let's talk about um, the Vader-Luke fight scene, because up until now, that's only really our, our, our second real lightsaber fight scene we've seen, if you, you, know, if you were to watch the movies yes. chronologically. Right, right. You know, exuding that first, you know, that little uh, scene with Vader in the, underneath the cave or underneath the tree as it goes. Right, yeah. So it, it's... It was sad anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was in his head, so I guess it doesn't count, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, um, one of the things I thought was interesting is if you watch this, Vader's toying with him. He's almost like testing him out of how good he is with this. Right. Luke gets in his nice, perfect stance, and Vader's just kind of standing there. Yeah. I think it's important that Luke ignites his lightsaber first there. You know, to me, that's a symbol of Luke's almost reckless aggression. Mm -hmm. You know, Luke keeps the fight. He's like, you know, Vader hasn't even drawn his sword, so to speak. And Luke's like, he just takes his stance and lights his lightsaber. He's like, let's go. <laughs> There's a scene right before that, um, depends how detailed you remember the movie, but he pops up from the little door in the floor, and he's got the blaster in his hand. And then he looks yeah. around, and there's a look in his eyes like, he's like, wait, something's different here. And he puts away his blaster to pull out his lightsaber. Yes, that's a good observation. I missed that. Yeah. and then He's aware of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And then when they do get ready to fight, Luke makes, because <laughs> we've all seen this in any kind of sparring class, Luke makes this kind of like big, quick gesture to get his lightsaber out. And the way mm -hmm. they showed it with Vader, even the blade of the lightsaber comes out slow and relaxed. He's like, okay, yes. we really got to do this. Yes, yes. It is very calm. <laughs> Vader is much calmer than Luke is. And we even see Luke, uh, you know, take short steps forward towards Vader and Vader takes short steps back. You know, distance, careful distance management in the choreography there, which I think supports what you're what you're saying um, that, you know, Luke is very much raring to go and, and Vader's just, he's just taking his time. He's feeling the Luke out. <laughs> and it's very um, telling if you look at it, the way Vader's fighting, because just because mm -hmm. Vader's all in shadow, you know, cinematographically light, Luke's all wearing lighter clothing. You can see him really well. You can see these big two handed swipes. Watch Vader. Vader's doing it one handed, just kind of parrying, you know, real relaxed, just going, Okay, well, he learned step three. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Vader, uh, Vader, like you said, is definitely toying with Luke, or at least, I, at least from what I can tell, he's not doesn't feel particularly threatened by him. <laughs> no, you know, and then um, and then he gets knocked into the uh, the carbon freeze, and he jumps out, and he's like, "Wow, okay, so maybe you do got some skills." Mm -hmm, yeah, I find it interesting that the the game changes a little bit um, once they leave that carbon freeze 
facility mm-hmm. and they go into the I think it was the area underneath it. Vader stops worrying so much about the uh, the duel with the lightsabers and starts bringing other you know uh, throwing things with the force at, at Luke yeah. uh, in a sense to balance him. Yeah, yeah. He starts going, okay, this isn't a duel. I just need to get this stuff done. <laughs> yeah. So you know, then they they go out on the uh, the bridge, the balcony, whatever it is, the the catwalk. Um, yes, the catwalk. <laughs> That's better. And we see. I think there's a moment here where we, you know, the the fighting intensifies. You know, they're, they're crossing blades, and Luke for a moment knocks Vader's saber aside and then wings him on the shoulder. Yeah, he gets and like it's one that good moment hit where in. Vader, yep, and then that's where Vader, you know, flips his wrist out of the way and cuts his hand off. And to me, there's a very symbolic, important moment here in that we talked about the importance of the lightsaber as a symbol, and. Vader has defanged Luke at this point, cut his hand off. He's lost his lightsaber. For all any of us know, that little lightsaber is gone forever at this point. <laughs> and it's that moment that Vader chooses to reveal to Luke that he's his father. And then he makes the offer to Luke to rule the galaxy in, as father and son. And I find it interesting, too, that he, in a sense, offered this to Padme back in Revenge of the Sith, where, in a sense, Vader has, hasn't let go of this idea of ruling the galaxy, of making everything, forcing everything to be right. So no one needs to die anymore. And in a sense, I kind of see the, the hurt little boy still in him. He's just looking for someone to love. Yes. Yes. And here's his son. Finally, here's an echo of Padme, you know, and I find it interesting here that Luke, going back to what you talked about at this need, what are you willing to sacrifice? Mm-hmm. This is where Luke jumps. You know, I always interpreted it as a jump to his death. Luke planned to die. He'd rather die than join Vader. Right. He was willing to sacrifice himself rather than join the dark side. Right. And in some sense, this this fall downward, going back to something you mentioned earlier too, is in a sense that maybe a, maybe a part of that fall into the underworld. You know, Luke is falling into death here. He is falling, going to the underworld. He's not coming back. I mean, yes, we know, all know how it turns out. But I don't think he knew that's what, how it was going to turn out at the time. And so that moment of loss, that moment of sacrifice has got to be formative to his character in, in ways that aren't uh, necessarily shown on screen. So here's something weird that I, I read this kind of looking up notes for this. If you look at the three times Luke really uses the force in this movie. Yes. He's upside down. Not. <laughs> He's upside down with the wampa. He's upside down, you know, balancing the rocks. And then he's upside yeah. down calling for Leia at the end. Yes, yes, yes. You think Yoda did that on purpose? He was like, <laughs> I got to grab this guy. He's got some stuff coming. It's all going to be upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just somebody made that point. And I'm like, son of a bitch. He's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because when Luke reaches out to Leia and Leia hears him, at the time, you know, not knowing anything else, I always wonder if this was something – that could be done to anyone. Like you could just, what do they call the new thing with Ray and Kylo, the uh, force timing or yeah, this, the, uh, what the, the force long distance connection, whatever they want to call yeah. it. Right. Yeah. You know, Luke, Luke makes a Skype call to Leia here and <laughs> you know, through the force. And I always wonder, is this something you could do with anyone or is this indicative of Leia's force sensitivity? Right. I mean, if we know from return of the Jedi that she's his sister, then, you know, in a spoiler alert, she knows where Luke is. Yeah, well, in, in, in some sense, this is, I think, the moment where we see that it's, I, I think maybe we see the first hint that Leia and Luke are connected in ways that aren't, that we don't necessarily know just mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, a little you know, bit of foreshadowing. Right, a bit of foreshadowing. I mean, technically, we got a little bit already when Yoda said, no, there's another. When Obi-Wan said, was it, was this, it Obi-Wan this, said, this, this boy is our last. last hope, yeah. Right, right. But yeah, it, it's it's symbolically, I think, important here. But we also see... Vader prepares to leave for his Star Destroyer. And okay, so he just saw Luke jump off, but we still see him reaching out to Luke through the Force. At the time, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, does he know Luke survived or is he just giving up? You know, he's leaving Bespin. But no, he seems to know that Luke's still alive and reaches out to him through the Force. Mm. You know, he's like, you know, uh, uh, Luke, I think, is saying father and he's saying son. And then Luke's saying, Ben, why didn't you tell me? Good question, of course, but. And Ben doesn't answer because, you know, apparently Force Ghosts can't live in the clouds or something. I don't I don't know the rules on that yeah. one. Yeah, I, I didn't get that either. You know, he's like, if you go face Vader now, I can't help you. It's like, what? Wait, okay, I get that. I, 
I mean, you don't help with Palpatine either later, so I, I, I don't know what the big deal is. So, And, and to be fair, as usual, R2 saves everyone, because <laughs> seriously, there'd be none of these movies without R2. <laughs> He's the one that turns on the, the hyperdrive. <laughs> uh, see, oh, there was other, one other thing. is right as Luke jumps. And again, this is kind of me interpreting because there's a helmet on, but Vader yes. actually looks like crestfallen. It was like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he kind of collapses onto the... Uh, uh, the railing there just yeah. leans up against it. Yeah. Now, uh, to me, so much of Anakin's journey is about loss. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, the, the big ones, you know, his mother, Padme, mm-hmm. um, and here his son has rejected him. His son is leaving him. I'm using air quotes here. So much of Anakin's journey is about loss of those he loves. And maybe and people are certainly welcome to disagree with me, but in a lot of ways, I see Anakin and Anakin's journey as truly the main character of the first six films. Yeah. And and so here again, we see Anakin being left behind to the dark side. <laughs> and again, I, I'm not saying Luke made the right choice, um, but I, I got to think that's amplified for him as a father. He lost his mother. He lost his wife. Now he's lost his son. <laughs> Well, I think that's one of the reasons that people like Empire so much, you know, out of the original trilogies, it's often quoted as being people's favorite, is because there is no good answer to what are you willing to sacrifice? Yes. You know, that's a a gray line that everyone has to deal with. Yeah, they show the extreme example with the Empire, just saying, yeah, screw it, people don't matter, we're going to kill them, we're going to kill ships, whatever, but... Mm -hmm. But Luke decides that he's going to sacrifice himself, yeah. And I, in a certain sense, I, I see that again also. I, I know we'll get to Return of the Jedi eventually, but we see that sacrifice in the next film as well. Mm-hmm. Where he chooses to go, when the next time he chooses to confront Vader, it's again with the assumption that, in effect, he's going to die. He's not coming back. Yeah. Well, well let's do that one next time. Um, <laughs> maybe, yep. maybe, we should, maybe we should end it here just so we can uh, <laughs> keep the, the listeners waiting. Sure, yeah. Um, if I may, though. Please. There is one... I sent you an article earlier in the week, and I just wanted to highlight one little section of one of them, um, just because I thought it was really thematically interesting about this particular film in and of itself, and its connection to martial arts and martial arts film, the point being the representation of martial arts in film. And if I actually, before I get into that, there's a slight digression here just to make it relevant in that I think there's always been a certain amount of performance and theater to the martial arts. We see its connection to performance and theater across history, but even even before perhaps what we think of as theater today, we see the practice of martial arts as having a, a religious aspect to them in that the earliest forms of the Japanese martial arts, specifically the Kashima Ryu and the Katari, Katari Shinto Ryu, were performed, they're named those because of the shrines that they were practiced at in Japan. Mm-hmm. There was the Katsuma Jinja and the Katari Jinja. And these people would get together and practice martial arts. And there was a sense of, you know, I, I get the sense that there was, it was helpful because there was an open area and people would come together. But there was also this sense of performing it for the spirits. We see this in the Olympics, the classical Greek Olympics, the physical practice of various things, including pancreation and and their version of grappling, were sacrifices to the gods, which is why they got their olive branch crown reward. And we see this in sumo, where there's there's elements of the religious overtones to the Shinto practice of sumo. I'm not saying this correctly, but uh, but then there's also the performance aspect to it. My, my point with all this is just that. There are elements to the martial arts that there's always the assumption that there, there's a certain level of performance in that. I'm not saying that, that they're all that way or all the time. There's different variations on the grade. But I, I do think there's always a certain element of performance being being done, um, be it in, let's say, in a competitive match or in a duel, or it, it kind of falls apart once we get towards the battle end, battlefield end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, even the old Chinese lei tai, the raised platform in the uh, in the village where you know people come together to fight. Uh, there's a performance aspect of it to be seen, to be known that one is strong, so to speak. Uh, and that's not always the reason, but anyways, uh, <laughs> the point of all that being that um, there is a 
comment or uh, a an observation made by a woman, Hyun Seon Lee, in a, her research that was presented, uh, titled Kung Fury, Contemporary Debates in Martial Arts Cinema. I got this from ChineseMartialArtStudies.com, which is uh, run by Professor Ben Junkins. And she makes the point that martial arts film has five core story elements that are central to traditional Chinese martial arts films, and I think in other martial arts films as well. Um, but the first one is conflicts between rival martial arts styles and clans. And I think it's pretty easy to see that for us, that's the Jedi versus the Sith. Mm -hmm. We also see climactic duels. You know, each one of the, the you know, episodes four, five, and six have a climactic duel that occurs at the end. Granted, in the first one, it's kind of the whole Death Star trench scene. But in a macro symbolic aspect, that too is a kind of duel between the rebels and the Empire. In this one in particular, we see a strong emphasis on the relationship between master and student, Luke and Yoda, and, and some Obi-Wan in, in there as well. But then there's also the discussion of how self-mastery leads to victory over one's external opponents, which can be seen as an extension of the Confucian doctrine of the mean. You know, Yoda's teachings on the Force is all about this, learning control, learning patience, that self-mastery is how he's going to overcome, is a theme that we see. And then the one I mentioned earlier in this episode was the romance of the hero, which, quite frankly, to me, doesn't fit in quite as well because it seems to be mostly revolving around Leia and Han. <laughs> right. But her point, and I think Judkin's point here, is that Empire Strikes Back comes the closest to fully embodying all these points to the exclusion of practically all, all else. In a sense, then, Empire Strikes Back, and I think it's an interesting point, may actually be the closest to a traditional Chinese martial arts film uh, of any of the Star Wars films embodying these five points. That's an interesting way to look at it, too. I like that. And that's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening, and talk to you again soon.